Well, good morning. Welcome to Mile Straight. We are so glad that you're here today. Uh, in your bulletin, we have placed a study guide for your benefit. If you would uh, take that out, grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack if you'd like, and uh, let's get into our discussion. If you look at the title on your study guide or on the screens, you see that today we're talking about the matter of war. In fact, we're talking about the bitter, never-ending war. And some of you are saying, okay, I know exactly. I watch the evening news. I know that war is going on everywhere. It seems like everybody's at war with somebody else, and uh, it just seems to never end. And while that's true, that, of course, is not the war which we are discussing today. The, uh, the battle, the war that we are talking about today is the reason... We have wars in our world. The reason we have problems in our world, but, uh, but it is quite a bit different as we will see. And in fact, to help us understand that, let's just go ahead and read the portion of Scripture that is applicable to this thought. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. You'll find that at the top of your study guide, if you would like to look there. The passage says... Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, and he says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so there's three things that I want us to see this morning in regards to this battle. And we're going to start out with the very negative, and we're going to slowly make our way to the very positive, okay? So there is a positive side to this. Just hang on, we're going to get there. But to begin with, number one, a man, or better said, a person that has been redeemed is a man or a person that is at war. So while we're not talking about a battle that is fought by our country or other countries, we're not talking about a war that someone else is engaged in. What we're talking about is a battle that we ourselves are fighting. We're talking about a battle that those of us who have been born into the family of God, those of us who have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, are engaging every single day of our lives. This is the bitter never-ending battle of which we are discussing. Paul says in verse 17, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. To me, that was an interesting way of wording that. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. And in reality, what he is saying is, you've got this battle going on inside. What I used to be versus what I am. What I was versus what I'm supposed to be in Jesus Christ. And you've got the flesh battling against the spirit, and they're fighting for territory in my life. On one side, the flesh is saying, I want to control what you are. I want to dictate what you do. I want to dictate what you say. I want to dictate what you think. I want to be the one who is in control. And on the other side, the Spirit of God is saying, No, at the time of your salvation, God placed me within you so that I would lead you, so that you would follow me, so that I would guide your thoughts. I would guide your actions. I would guide your steps. 
And the battle rages day after day after day after day. And as long as we're in this life, the battle never ends. Never ends. And it says that they're lusting after each other. In other words, there is a desire for what the other has. The flesh looks at the part of our lives that are surrendered to God, that's being led by the Spirit of God, and it desires to own that. It desires to possess that. And the Spirit looks at what the flesh controls, and it looks at what the flesh is bringing about in our lives, and it desires to control that. You see, it's not enough for them to have part. Both are fighting for full control over our lives. The battle rages. He says in the verse, he says in the middle, going to the end of the verse, he says, these are contrary to one another so that you don't do what you want to do. Contrary. It talks of of an ongoing, continual opposition. It talks of enemies battling one another, being very much in, in hatred of each other despising each other, and that this continues for a lifetime. The sad part is when we begin to look at what the flesh produces, we begin to see what comes out of our lives when the flesh is in control, whether it's a small area of life or it's a big area of life. When we see what the flesh does, what it manufactures from our lives, then all of a sudden we begin to see how very ugly it really is. Galatians chapter 5, Paul continuing this thought on down through the chapter, verses 19 through the first part of verse 21, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident. They're very obvious. You don't have to look very deeply into your life to understand if the flesh is in control in an area of your life. Once again, whether it be a small area of life Or all of our life. We don't have to look very hard to understand because it is evident what's going on. It's evident what and who is controlling our lives. And he says, now the works of the flesh are evident which are, and here he lists some of them for us. He says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, Outburst of wrath or a a fierce temper, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And so here we see when, when I allow the flesh to control part of my life or all of my life, what is manufactured? What comes out of that? And I begin to see that it is very ugly. It's very destructive. Because out of my life, when the flesh is controlling, comes jealousies. And envy and selfishness. And we can look at these things and say, how destructive. Because the flesh is determined to destroy us, the flesh is determined to destroy our relationships. The reason we have problems in families, the reason we have problems inside our country, the reason we have problems with the world population not getting along with one another is because the flesh is calling the shots. The flesh is determining how these things go and therefore there is a huge pride issue. Therefore there is jealousy. Therefore there is contention. There is wars and fights and battles. 
Therefore, Paul tells us that we must put these things to death. We must put these things to death. Why? Well, because what we're doing, we're feeding the flesh. We're allowing the flesh to grow and control. And the flesh is actually battling God. So then, in essence, we are assisting in a war against God. So then the result of what happens is devastation, it's destruction. So what we do is we look at what's happening and we say we've got to rid ourselves of what's happening. We've got to rid ourselves of the flesh having control in our lives. We'll see more about that as we move ahead. And so it is true. When God redeems us, when God saves us, He puts us at war with our sin nature, and therefore a man that has been redeemed is a man who is at war. But there is some incredible news that comes later in this verse, or, or actually in verse 16. He gives to us the insight that it is possible to be victorious in this battle. It is possible that on a day-to-day -day war, in a day-to-day -day battle against the flesh, when, when we are or it seem to be failing every day of our lives, when it seems that we have a desire to move away from the jealousies and the envy and the strife and the other things, that we want to get away from it because we see how it's hurting, we end up falling right back in the middle of it. And he says, but it doesn't have to be that way. Can have victory against the flesh. Point number two, your second fill-in says, that victory in this war comes through a change of direction. Victory in this war comes through a change of direction. So then if I'm following after the Spirit, I'm, 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 excuse me, if I'm following after the flesh, I'm following the flesh, the flesh is in control in my life, then in order to win the victory, in order to win this battle that I'm engaged, I must turn and change directions. It's talking about a philosophy. It's talking about a mental process. It's talking about a thought process where I change what I'm thinking and I begin to agree with God. In verse 16, he tells us this in very short form. He says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, Follow the direction and the leadership of God's Spirit in your life. And those things that are so destructive will not control you. Makes sense, doesn't it? If they're warring against one another, if I'm pursuing one, if I'm following one, then that's what's going to control my life. But if I want to change that, then I change directions. I change the course of my life to pursue after God, to surrender myself to Him, then God begins to control my life through His Spirit in my life. So that the things that were happening in my life no longer are happening. The things that used to control me, the jealousy that used to eat me alive, the envy that made me want what everyone else had, the contentions, the outburst of wrath or the temper or the lack of control over my life. These things that used to control me all of a sudden begin to fade into the distance because I've changed directions. I'm no longer walking down that path. 
And what an incredible, remarkable blessing it is when this takes place. Because what the Spirit of God produces in my life is so completely different than what the flesh produces. What does the Spirit produce? He tells us in verses 23, 22 and the first part of verse 23 in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the fruit of the Spirit, that which comes about when the Spirit is leading my life, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Wow. So then I look at what's being produced. I look at what the flesh produces. And I look at the destruction that it brings. And I'd make a determination. Okay, am I satisfied in this? Do I want to stay walking in this path? Do I want to stay walking down this road? And having these things bring devastation into my life. The Bible says that there's a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. Do I want to continue down this path? Or do I want to change directions to follow the Spirit of God? When I follow the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God begins to manufacture in my life that which I cannot manufacture on my own. The truth is, I can never personally bring peace into my own life. That is a work of the Spirit of God in my life. So then as I surrender to God and I submit myself to Him and the Spirit of God begins to work in my life, then all of a sudden I begin to receive that which I've looked for but could never find, and that is peace in my life. So then here's something to think about. Does that mean that if I don't have peace in one part of my life or or I don't have joy in one part of my life that the Spirit of God is still leading that part of my life? The answer is no. It's a very clear picture that if the Spirit of God is not producing it, I cannot obtain it. And therefore, if I don't have peace in my, say, my relationship, or I don't have joy in my work, or I don't have joy in my problems, I don't have peace in, in my health situation, the problem is that that's an area of my life that is not controlled by God's Spirit. That's an area of my life that I'm still trying to work on. That I'm still trying to control. That I'm still trying to guide my steps and alter my future. So then if I want peace in my life in these areas... If I want joy, if I want the other things that I do not have, that only the Spirit of God possesses and can present to me in my life, then what I have to do is I have to stop following the flesh and I have to start following the leadership of the Spirit of God in my life. When we walk in the Spirit, we are walking in an opposite direction from the flesh. You see, the Spirit of God does not like the things of God, and therefore it seeks to get satisfaction from independence, from power, from prestige, from sinful pleasures. But when I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm guided and directed by the Spirit of God, these things do not control me. 
The sinful pleasures of life do not control me. The, the, the desire for power, and for prestige, for position does not control me. Because I'm being controlled by something that is much greater. The Spirit of God. Just a quick thought. When I'm walking in the Spirit, I know that I'm walking in the Spirit because the desires that the Spirit gives me or the desires of the things that the Spirit produces are stronger than the desires of the things that the world produces. Now, here's where we come to a quandary. And here's, uh, here's where we come to a difficulty. Let me say it that way. Because I know what walking in the flesh does. I've seen it bring destruction in areas of my own life. I've seen it very clearly in the lives of other people in our church family, people who've come to me for counseling. I've seen the effects of sin. And, and I can tell you that personally, I want no part of that. I want no part of it. And yet I've got this problem. I'm still human. And I've got this problem to where even though I say I'm not going to follow the flesh, there are those days, and sadly those weeks, when that's exactly what I find myself doing. And maybe you're better than that. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. I hope you are. But probably the truth is we all struggle here. Probably the truth is that we know there's a battle going on. And we know that it's raging inside. And we know what it takes. We've got to change direction so that we don't give in to that. And yet we find ourselves falling back into it. So then what's the answer? I mean, honestly, how do we get to the place to where we overcome this? How do we get to the place to where we're having more victories than we are failures? How do we get to the place to when we step out of this life into the next and this battle is finally over, that we hear our Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, how do we get to that place? That honestly is the desire of my heart. I want to be victorious in the day-to-day -day battles so that when I stand before Christ, I'm not ashamed. I want to hear him say, well done, Tom. Well done. Man, you fought hard. Fought hard. You weren't perfect by no means. But you fought hard. And you were winning those victories. Well, here's your third point, third thing to write down. And that is that the change of direction must be God-focused. The change of direction must be God-focused. Now, we're going to spell this out a little more clearly. We're going to write down some really practical steps. But you've got to understand something. Too many times, and again, maybe you're not this way, but for me, too many times I find myself desiring to walk away from what the flesh offers. And, and yet I, I find that, that I'm trying to do it in my own strength. My own ability. You know, it's something that, that I've just got to overcome. It's a pride thing for me. You know, I can do this. I can do this. I'm just not going to do that anymore. That's it. I'm not going to do it. 
And just as quickly as that thought comes in, I get slammed on my face right back in the middle of that junk. The problem is that I, I tend to focus on what I can do. I, I tend to focus on how I can get myself out of this mess. I may not be saying that, but ultimately that's what I'm thinking. I've got to do this. I've got to do it. When the reality is, I can't do this. Can't. So what do I do? What do I do? I want to give you some practical steps. You'll see listed there A, B, and C if you'll write these in. I think you'll find these to be beneficial. Not that they'll make you perfect. <clears throat> Not that you will achieve victory in every single battle. But I think you will find it beneficial because it all revolves around focusing on God. It all revolves around surrendering ourselves totally to Him. And it begins with this, letter A. Letter A is simply this. I've got to have a systematic starvation of the flesh. I've got to have a systematic, or I've got to have a plan for starving the flesh. A plan. Now, what does a plan look like? I, I mean, how do I develop a plan to starve out the flesh? You see, the more I give in to the flesh, the more I give the flesh control, what I'm doing is I'm feeding a hungry lion. And I'm fattening up that lion so that he just gets bigger and bigger and controls more and more area. So, so how do I begin to starve that out? Well, Paul tells us something amazing. If you will, write this reference down, Romans 13, 14. Romans 13, 14. You can go look at it later. I would encourage you to memorize it. But here's what he says. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Make no provision for the flesh. Now, that to me spoke heavily. And I want to give you an illustration. This is a very real illustration with one exception in it. I'm going to exaggerate a little bit. Okay, I'll head, tell you ahead of time. I have a problem with sweets. I like to eat sweets. If I come to your house and there's a brownie sitting on the cabinet, chances are if you turn your back, that brownie's going to be gone when you turn back around. Okay, so I'm just being honest with you. I love anything sugary. Just about anything sugary, unless it, controls, it contains a vegetable or something, which is totally uncalled for. I really like sweets. But I understand as I get older what that's doing to my body. And as a result, I try to cut it out. I try to stop it. But I've got a lot of problems in stopping it. I'll stop it. I'll say, I'm not eating it anymore. And I'll move away from it. But eventually, I find myself right back there. And usually indulging in great quantities. And so here's my problem. I, I realize that I say I'm going to stop it. But the chances are really good. By the end of the day, I'm going to be right back in it. And so what I do is I prepare for failure. And by preparing for failure, I mean, and here's the little bit of exaggeration. I'll go to the store and I'll buy three packs of Oreo double stuff to have in the house so that when that failure comes, I'm ready. Uh, you know what I'm saying? 
or I'll get a cake and uh, hide it from my wife in the bedroom somewhere. And, hmm. I'm making a provision for failure. In the spiritual realm, it looks like this. Say, my problem is lust. So I say, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so I'm going to cut it out. I know what it's doing to me. I know what it's doing to my marriage. I know what it's doing to my relationships. I'm going to cut it out. And yet then I sit down and I watch a TV show that stirs those lusts in me. I'm feeding it. I'm making a provision for lust in my life. Or I look on the internet and I look at something that's just feeding my lust, feeding that hunger. Now, regardless if your problem or your situation, the thing that you struggle with so greatly is, is anger or, 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 or bitterness or, or whatever, resentment, the other things that were mentioned, jealousy, envy. Regardless of what it is, it all ends up being the same. We say we're going to cut it out, but then what we do is we start feeding it just a little bit. Well, this won't bother me. We feed it a little bit more. We start thinking about it. We start dwelling on it. And all of a sudden, boom, we're back in the middle. So what I have to do is determine, okay, I don't want it in my life. I've got to systematically begin to starve it out. Now, how do I do that? How do I do that? Number two, or letter B. I've got to fill the vacancy with God's Word. I've got to fill that vacancy with God's Word. The problem is that when I have indulged these sinful things, when I have allowed them to become part of who I am, they take up a lot of my time. They, they take up a lot of my thinking. They take up a lot of my, my, uh, my actions. And so when I just cut it off and I begin to starve it out, that's well and good. But the problem is that there's a void there. There's an emptiness in my life. And in my life, I'm saying I don't want it anymore, but I haven't replaced it. And so therefore, I grow hungry. I, I, I know that something has to fill that emptiness. And if I don't fill it with something valuable, I'm going to wind up right back here because here's my default mode. Here's what I'm used to. Here's what I run to. And so what I have to do is begin investing that time, begin investing that thought into something more significant, something that is going to be valuable, something that is going to replace what was going on and fill that emptiness inside. I've got to fill the void. Paul says it like this. Write this reference down as well as you will. If you will, Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. He said, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally mind, minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It's interesting. When I have my thoughts and my mind set on this, the flesh... And that's where I'm going to follow. The problem, according to what Paul said, is this is the stuff that leads to death. Spiritual death. Physical death. 
Here's the stuff that leads to the death of relationships. Here's the stuff that leads to the death of, of my testimony, my witness. And so what I have to do is change what I'm thinking. Romans 12, 1. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, rather. Be transformed. Change what you're thinking. Stop taking in junk. Stop feeding the bear. Stop feeding that hungry lion. Start feeding the Spirit of God. So I begin to starve it out. I replace it with something significant, something more valuable that leads to life and peace. And then finally, letter C. I increase the hearing of faith. I increase the hearing of faith. Increase the hearing of faith. Now what does that mean? It means I listen to God's Spirit. When I said earlier I can't do this by myself, God wants me to take the initiative. He wants me to be part of the process. But ultimately I have to rely upon His Spirit. Ultimately, I have to rely upon God. It brings me to a place of humility because I recognize my inability. It also brings me to a place of total dependence upon God. What an incredible place to be. God wants us to be totally dependent upon Him. That's when He's most glorified in our lives. When we recognize our inability... And we recognize our great need for Him. God is glorified in our lives. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 5. He, talking of God, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you. Does He do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of of faith. And does he want us to earn it ourselves? Does he want us to, to work to achieve it ourselves? Or to come to the realization that the very best we can manufacture is like filthy rags before God? And therefore be dependent upon him. Something amazes, amazing happens in our dependency upon God. You see, as I become more and more dependent upon God, then God begins to show miraculous things through me. He begins to deliver me from those battles. He begins to to separate the, 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 the desire and the temptation, not that it will ever go fully away or the battle could end. We know it's a never-ending battle. But God begins to strengthen me as my faith grows. And here's what happens. I begin to follow the leading of the Spirit in my life. And I'm listening to where I'm supposed to take my next step. And I'm looking for His leadership and His direction in my life. I want Him guiding me. And as I surrender to that, an amazing thing happens. I begin to see what He's doing. It becomes more and more obvious to me. I began to understand how he's working in my life. How he's giving me strength over the flesh. How it becomes something that is still a temptation, but it's not as strong as it was yesterday. 
God begins to grow me and begins to grow my faith so that I want to depend on Him more, so that I want to trust Him more. You see, once we've tasted the goodness of God, once we've experienced the sweetness of His peace in our lives, once we've had the expression of God's joy upon us and His love upon us, when we fall out of that and we go back to pursuing the flesh, we're not nearly as, as happy in this as we used to be. Because we've had the real thing. We've experienced the peace that comes from God alone. And we look for things that try to fill that emptiness, we try to fill that void in our lives, and it never satisfies because we've had the real thing. Had the real thing. It's a matter of listening to the Spirit of God and having Him direct our lives to grow us, to strengthen us, to where more and more and more we desire Him. More and more and more we can only find what we really want in life through Him. There's one final thing Paul does for us, verse 18. He says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit. And there's a difference in being one who is submitted to the law. The commandments, thou shalt not kill, shalt not steal, shalt not bear false witness. The commandments, we are under the law. People living under the law came to realize two things. Number one, that they were sinners. They could not live perfectly under the law. The Bible says that because of our sin, we fall short of God's glorious standard that's required to get to eternal life. And that glorious standard is perfection. So when I'm trying to live under the law, I'm trying to get there on my own. And the law becomes very obvious to me that I can never fully keep it. And therefore, I can never achieve perfection. So, living under the law makes us realize that we are sinners. And secondly, it makes us understand that we are under condemnation. That we have been condemned because of our sinfulness, our rebellion against God. That's what sinfulness is. And as a result of that rebellion against God, we face the wrath of Almighty God. But God in His great kindness, it's incredible mercy, sent His Son Jesus Christ to a cross where He paid the price of our sin so that when we submit our lives to Him, when God forgives us based upon the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross of Calvary, that we are set free we no longer, no longer live under the law. We no longer have to satisfy the law. We no longer have to live perfectly. Because God has forgiven us. He has bestowed upon us the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And Paul said, you can know you have eternal life. Because there is proof in your life. And that is that God's Spirit is producing fruit. 
God's Spirit is at work. So then here's where we come to. You may be saying, well, what am I going to do with information like that? Here, here's what I hope it causes us to do. Those of us who are part of the family of God, I'm praying that what we do with this information is that we, first of all, examine our lives. We look at what's being produced in our lives. Is what's coming out of my life jealousy, bitterness, anger, uh, bad temper, lack of control over my life? Or is what's coming out of my life the fruit of the Spirit, love of God, joy, peace? And as I look at this and I see, yes, there are areas where there's a lot of the flesh popping out. Again, it may be a small area, it may be a big area, but there are areas. Then as I examine my life, I begin to say, you know what, I've got to get rid of that. And we begin the process, systematic starvation, replacing that with something significant like God's Word. And beginning to listen for the Spirit of God to direct us. Begins with confession. God, here's what's in my life. You know it, but I want to confess to you this sin. And God, I'm depending on you. I know that I can't do this. I've tried. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And what I've found every time is failure. And so God, I'm depending on you. As I, as I take the initiative, I do what you've called me to do. I'm asking you now to direct my steps. Give me confidence that I'm hearing from your spirit. Help me to know that this is your spirit directing me. And help me to follow hard after him. So that I can have peace and joy. So that I can be obedient to you. So that I can live a life that brings you glory. Now, if you don't know Christ is your Savior, then there's something else that maybe you should do with this information. In fact, there is something else you should do with this information. And that is recognize your need of a Savior. And hey, because you don't know Christ, you're still under the condemnation of God. Very scary, very dangerous place to be. If you die in that situation... And you will face the judgment of God upon your sin for all of eternity. And so this morning, maybe it's just that you would pause and say, you know what? I don't want to fight this battle by myself. I need a Savior. And the only one who can be my Savior who can justify my sinfulness, who could have possibly paid the price of my sin on the cross of Calvary is Jesus Christ. And I want to know more about Him. Then here's what I invite you to do today. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand and our worship team is going to come and they're going to sing. And it's just going to open up a time of what we call invitation for you where we invite you just to respond to the message. If you're part of God's family and there's areas in your life that you're living for the flesh, then I invite you to either come to the front or spend time where you are in prayer. God, forgive me. Here's what I'm doing. 
If you don't know Christ as Savior, then I'm inviting you when that time happens just to step from your place to the aisle that's closest to you and meet me right here at the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call out your name. I'm not going to point you out. But I'll have someone who's trained in God's Word show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today if you would like to. No pressure. We're not asking you to join anything. We just simply want to give you information that will benefit you for all of eternity. So if you'd like to know more, the invitation is for you to come. If God's leading you to be part of our church family, you want to know more about baptism or anything else that might follow these lines, then I'm inviting you to come as well and just stop here at the front and see me. If I'm with someone, our other pastors will step up. You can meet with them and tell them what you're looking to do today. Would you do that? Would you respond to God's message? Thank you.